three, two, one. Let's, Let's go! go! I'm the host of the PBE podcast, Troy Tittlemeyer, sitting down at Image 2023, riding that razor's edge of technology and applied geoscience. Microseismic Inc. made it possible for us to be here, and I'm forever grateful to Peter Duncan and Microseismic Inc. on behalf of PBE. I've learned so much about Microseismic yesterday and today. The, the details of the science itself, fascinating. How are these pops in the subsurface happening when we, when we set a stage and a frack and we're putting that prop in away and the fluid away? Fascinating with Dr. John McKenna and the others of the science, but also the applied part of this, like the business part of this. The, you guys have traversed 20 years of industry, the, the ups, the downs, sideways, all around. You know, I, I want to pull that story from this. So please introduce yourself and let's let's get the story, Mr. Duncan. So, uh, hi there, Troy. <laughs> I am Peter Duncan. I'm the CEO and founder of Microseismic Inc. I am a geophysicist dyed in the wool. I have been a geophysicist my entire life. I actually, I actually in the summer of 1970, went to Newfoundland, I'm a Canadian, and I worked on a diamond drilling project looking for copper, and I got introduced to geophysics that summer. And wow. I loved it, because what it was about was boys and their toys. <laughs> it was doing treasure hunting in the earth yeah, man. with neat tools. And I went back to my university. I had completed one year, and I went back. Second year, I went to the head of the geology department, and I said, I want to be a geophysicist. And Whoa. I have stayed that course ever since. And in my career, I worked in underground in the mines. I worked for the, a mining company doing exploration. Really? And then I got into oil and gas because the mining company, like oil and gas, goes through all sorts yeah. of ups and downs. And I was working for Shell in their mining division and they decided to sell their mining division. They retooled me as a geophysicist in the seismic division. Seismic was the only discipline Whoa. within geophysics that I'd never done anything. Whoa. And they said, you, sir, <laughs> are now a seismic geophysicist. So I did a little reading. I went to Shell School, which is the best school you could possibly go nice. to to learn about seismic. This is in, still in Canada. And then a contractor who was doing marine seismic in a new field called 3D, 3D seismic, mm -hmm. offered me to move to Houston. Houston, the great capital of oil and gas yeah. in the entire world. Whoa. And I told my wife we're going to move to Houston for three years. Did that in 1986, <laughs> still here. And that's because Houston is a black hole. <laughs> when you go in to Houston as a geophysicist, you don't wow. ever leave wow. unless you're uh, effinescent energy, as the physicists would say, <laughs> because that's the capital of the world. And so I... and. G as a geophysicist, Houston was a fabulous place to be. Lots of opportunities. Yeah. Got to start my own oil company, drilled a few wells. Is that learned right? that I was a technologist and should never have been in the oil business. <laughs> I should be a technologist. Transferred back, starting to do technology, doing, oh, human scale, immersive visualization and things like that. Whoa. And along the road, there is a point to this, along the road I met this, this very famous seismologist named Charles Archambault, a MacArthur Genius Grant fellow, a professor wow. in Colorado, who had worked in the seismic world. I'm talking about earthquake seismic. Okay. And he'd worked in the detection of nuclear blasts. 
He'd been oh, in an online wow. group that worked in Russia and the U.S. You tell the difference. To, 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 to be able to tell the difference between nuclear test blasts and real earthquakes. And Charles was getting older and he said, Peter, I would like to try to monetize some of the technology that I've developed in the passive seismic world. And I would like to see about re-engineering that down to a scale that could be applicable in the oil field instead of looking for nuclear blasts. Whoa. And see if we could make some money at it. Wow. And, and at the time, I was getting a little bit tired of doing 3D seismic and the old conventional stuff. This sounded neat and new yeah. and green. That We're talking 2002, 2003, and everybody was talking about environmental sensitivity and shoot doing seismic in a conventional way with vibrators and, yeah. and dynamite yeah. or big air guns offshore that wasn't kosher right and here was charles saying we can do all sorts of neat things in an oil field by simply putting a stethoscope on the chest of the reservoir and listening to the squishy sounds and being able to tell what those squishy sounds mean and telling the engineer how he can do a better job of producing that wow. reservoir. And I said, Charles, put me in, boss. So we here. did a deal. Yeah. We made a company called Microseismic Inc. And, and we started to go out in the world to see what we could do with passive seismic. Now, I'll tell you, best laid plans. I went out and raised some venture capital. Okay. And I made a, a business plan. Yep. And I wrote down all the things that you could do with passive seismic in this business plan. Some of it was looking for, oh, small motion on faults that would shear off wells and oh, cause wow. an environmental problem. Wow. Some of it was to track fluid as it was produced in the reservoir. Some of it was to track carbon as it was sequestered. And this is back in 2003 and 2004, wow. way in advance. Wow. And I wrote this business plan and at the bottom I put hydraulic fracture monitoring and I put a big red X through it. And I said, I'm gonna do all these things but I'm not gonna do hydraulic fracture monitoring because that's not very green. And I don't wanna do that. <laughs> okay. Within three years, <laughs> this is 2003, within You're three right. years by 2006, the shale gale yeah. in the United States had taken off yeah. well, around the world. Yeah. And the way we were doing passive seismic, the way we used, we built our stethoscope with large arrays on the surface instead of going down hole, instead of putting, drilling a well and putting or our microphone close yeah. to the reservoir where right. you were fracking. Doing it from the surface, which had some technical and some financial and some logistical advantages, that took off. And we got dragged into doing a hydrofract monitoring. And even though I put a big red X through it, <laughs> within five years, 100% of my business was that thing I said I would never do. Turned into a big green circle. Yeah. And the message is when the market speaks, you listen. There you go. There you so that's go. how we got into frack monitoring. Whoa. And that became a huge business for us. We raised venture capital. We raised private equity. We got a huge valuation on the company. And things were going towards an IPO. Whoa. I'd already done an IPO once. Okay. Back with a little oil oh, company. With Doug. I started. Yeah, with Doug. Yeah. Uh -huh. I did an IPO with him back in 96. So we're on the way to a second IPO. And I thought, whoa, that's kind of neat. How many people do that in their career? Yeah. So I, we got up and we were growing like crazy and going towards this IPO and then boom, 2016 hit. Oh, whoa. And the price of oil started going down and the yeah. price of oil went well, negative well, that's in 2019. 2019, yeah, 2020. 2020 yeah. And our business started to really suffer. Whoa. And so, gosh, 
we had to scrap all the ideas about an IPO. Yeah. But the good thing was, I still had that list of all the things that I had planned to do before frac monitoring. I had that list. And it was a list of things that we had never had time to get towards. Wow. And we dug out that list. Yeah. And we said, all right, now we've got the bandwidth, we've got the time, we've got the need mm-hmm. financially to do some other things. And we started looking and we said, well, we can go back to CO2 sequestration. The very first job we'd ever done was in the field of CO2 sequestration for Anadarko. And there's enhanced geothermal where we can start to look at the fracking of impermeable rocks to build heat exchangers. And then there's something came up that we weren't expecting. That is to listen for the development of of sinkholes before they happen. To listen in the earth, to hear the spalling of material into a cavity at depth and find it before it comes to the surface and causes the highway or the building or the apartment building or the industrial facility to fall into the ground. And all of those presented really strong economic opportunities that took just a small tweak Tweak. to the technology we'd already been working on for 16, 17 years. And so we went through the valley of the shadow of death <laughs> oh, in 2020. Right. And from now the ashes. we've come out the other side and we're growing again. Wow. And yeah. it's, you know, happy days. Yeah. No, I've got to sit down with the, the, the folks that you've put together, right? The team. You're the leader of this and you've been through a lot. And uh, they've all shared that and their, their kind of perspective on that. And they're all so happy about working here. They're happy that you're still here, that they work for you, they work with you, they, they speak highly of you, and so it's, it's an honor to share time with you at this show and to get more of your perspective and get more about who you are and how you were able to do that, how you were able to just have that fearless mentality and, and the guts to, to just keep going. There's this challenge in front of you. I'm sure there was an easier option to take than to just keep going and let's survive. Let's tweak it. Let's rework this. Let's push through. And you did that. Everyone around you got to see that and they're all happy about that. I so mean, I, I need, to, you, you talk about they're happy to be with me yeah. and, and that we made it happen, but it's not true. Oh. It's them that made it happen, not me. And I got to tell you back, like when we first started the company, early days, when I started the company, it was in my spare bedroom. <laughs> and then we went to a borrowed facility in a warehouse. And then eventually we got some proper office space, although it wasn't very proper, <laughs> in, the, in the first floor of a two-store building in Houston. And this was a great building. When we started off with one office and when we needed a second over the weekend, they would come in and hammer out the walls and we'd have two offices. Jeez. Now, the carpet was different in yeah. each of these offices because, you know, step. it was just whatever was there. And when our investors would come in, they would say, oh, Peter, really efficient use of capital. You're not spending money on furniture. You're not spending money on building. But when we went in that office, at the, just inside the door, there was a partition with desk behind it. Mm-hmm. And on that partition, we hung a big piece of craft paper and a, and a magic marker. And we asked people to put the core values of the company for them to just write Mm. it on. Whatever was in their head. Mm. Not me. I didn't contribute to that page. They did. And what did they write? I still have the piece of paper. Oh, man. And they wrote things like, everyone's a stockholder. So that was a core principle. Every employee got stock options 
so it was their company. Yeah. So that they could come to me if I made a decision and say, Peter, don't you mess with my <laughs> company. Integrity. And this has been a core principle in our company. We don't lie to our clients. If we do something wrong, we tell them. If we do something wrong or something bad happens, first thing that happens, don't care. In the field, in the analysis, the person calls me. I have yeah. never, ever fired anyone for making a mistake. But for hiding it, yes. Oh, man. So, integrity. If something happens, they call me, then we call the client and we tell them what happened. The third principle that was up there, oh, there's, there were 30. <laughs> but the third principle that sticks in my mind was never give up. Oh, man. And, you know, we got into the frack monitoring and we didn't even know how to spell that. <laughs> and I told my people it's going to be a long time. I said, I think we'll probably have to do 100 wells and monitor that frack before we understand what our data are telling us. Wow. And you know what? It was 100 wells and maybe more. And we went to clients and we told them things Here's about the says. data that were yeah. dead wrong because we didn't understand. And we told the clients things that we saw that they said were dead wrong because they didn't understand yet. Whoa. And together, us and our clients, Whoa. we learned about the technology of what was going on in the subsurface and the whole market moved and we were part of that. And it was so exciting. And we shared that with all the employees. No, it wasn't me. It was those employees that yeah. worked for me who taught me and who dragged me along with them. Man. Well, let's rock it back. You were born in Canada? I was. My dad was from, uh, born in Kenora. Okay. I worked in a summer very near Kenora. Really? Yeah. In How the mining that? business. Really? Right on. Yeah. So anyway, there's some connect Canadian connection there. Um, so when you got your degrees or when you went to school, was there a geophysicist in the family? Was there someone telling you that natural resources is a great place to spend your time and attention for a career? Like, nope. What the heck? How did you, how did you well, get there? As I said, I, well, my dad, <laughs> my dad always, my dad was an engineer almost. He didn't graduate. <laughs> but my, my dad had an affinity for science. And my dad was a hunter and fisherman, so there was an affinity for the outdoors. But my dad always schooled me to be curious about things. Yeah. I, we, I didn't grow up in a wealthy family. We had an old television, and the tubes were always burning out. And my dad and I would get, we'd experiment with getting the tubes in and fixing it. <laughs> so that sort of thing. So I grew up curious about toys and electronics. Yeah. And when I was, oh, I can remember, I, I think I was probably in grade six or seven. For Christmas, I got a physics set, a really? physics experiment set, oh, where man. you could do things like super cool water or it had a dish so you could build a dish microphone and stuff like that. And my father said something to me that affected my life big time. Wow. He said, well, he said, Lord Rutherford said that there's only one science, it's physics, and everything else is just stamp collecting. And so I had no affinity for biology. Chemistry. I had no affinity for chemistry. I had, so I went to school. I went to, to uh, university. and I took, Alberta? No, no, in New Brunswick. New university Brunswick. of New Brunswick. And I took physics and, and English and, right. you know, the things yeah. you need to take. Yeah. I did not take biology. I had to take chemistry. I hated it. <laughs> and as an elective, I took geology. Yes. Now, so... In geology, 
number one, the geology faculty had the best parties on campus. Nice. And number two, the geologists took us on field trips where we looked at rocks. And I thought, this is really interesting. And then I got a summer job, and the geology faculty were really good about getting you summer jobs in the industry. Cool. And I got a summer job on wow. this project in Newfoundland where we did geophysics, and there was this Belgian geophysicist who was classically trained, and he took me under his wing, and at night, after we, you know, I mean, I was his gopher, right, yeah. during the day. Yeah. But at night, he'd show me how to reduce the data, interpret it. And I just said, this is fantastic. Wow. I was 18 years old, Jeez. and I've never looked back. You just found it. And so man. it wasn't my, it, well, I, my dad had an influence. Sure. My school had an influence. Sure. That summer job had an influence. And I've never looked, so I've been a geophysicist now, what, 52 years. <laughs> man, I love that. Applied physics is geology, right? Like that's, we're, we're constantly thinking about that and correlating what we see in outcrop and what we can, what we can map on the surface and how it's, how, what's going on in the subsurface. And then I got to experience with some microseismic data and I just, it's fascinating to know that these, these cluster of events are happening along a plane of some kind of weakness point, right? It's a fracture, it's natural porosity, permeability breaking down. You know, something's going on there and it's real, you know, and, and you get to put that into interpretation and you need it, and that goes to the next one and you're optimizing it with this data and microseismic data is, is really valuable when interpreted correctly when taking very seriously. I got to sit down with Charles Cusack talking about the Eagleford uh, with Recoil and, and how he's doing uh, real-time microseismic work with you guys. He said two things. He said, one, we figured out that if you got a longer lateral and a shorter lateral and you just go to both toes and start fracking, not going to work out very well. We found out quickly as we went down that well that the, the longer lateral that the further toe was of totally having a, this kind of stress shadow effect on the other well. And so all of a sudden they're, they're putting these fracks away thinking they're getting this major success and it's just a, a pressure sink to the other well. They weren't getting out the other way. They totally revamped, shut down, revamped real time and then started putting good fracks away again. He goes, how much money did we save right there yeah. by doing that yeah. in real time? So, you know, people will ask me, what is a geophysicist? Yeah. And I'll say a, a geophysicist is a geologist who sees what can't be seen. <laughs> Geologists have to hold the rock in right. their hand. That's right. They'll drill a well and they'll hold the rock in their hand. But a That's geophysicist right. is going to look into the earth and see with sound yeah. or with electromagnetics yeah. what you aren't holding in your hand. And that's a fabulous opportunity. Now, you talk about fracking. In the, when we first got involved with fracks, people were fracking in a well open hole. That means they just drilled the well, they left it completely open along the no horizontal. No casing, no and cement. And they pumped no. it, they just, oh. well, no, there was cement in the vertical. In the but, vertical section. But down but in the, the horizontal, hole. they didn't put any pipe or anything, they just yeah. fracked it. Wow. And they had these models that they calculated based on the rock properties, right. but not seeing it, but they had these models that they ran in the computer that said that they would get these bi-wing. Yeah. That means two-sided. Yep. Symmetric. It's going to be the same, same on every side yeah. of the well. Penny-shaped, so it's kind of like a butane torch or like the wing of a, of a butterfly, on either side of the well. And they assumed that it was even space down the well. And that's 
what they were doing their Whoa. development based on wow. without seeing. And the biggest contribution that MicroSeismic, and I don't mean capital M, I mean our community, the biggest contribution we made is we started creating images of what was going on down that well. And you know what? Didn't look anything like that. <laughs> it was wherever there was a fault or a fracture, Whoa. the frack went off in that direction That's and right. it didn't go to the other side. So people would drill wells assuming that they were creating fracks on either side of the well, and it was all on one side. Whoa. We had one company tell us we drilled a well in East Texas, and we had a model for what it should produce, and it produced half as much. Mm -hmm. And we said, oh my word, we're gonna lose a lot of money on this. We monitored that well, and in, in those days, we couldn't do it in real time. It took six weeks or so before we got the data. But when we produced the data, it showed they'd only fracked on one side of the well. And they said, my God, that's why we only got half the production. We only fracked one side of the wow, well. Wow. And when wow. we showed them that, they were able to then correct that. I got to tell you, one of the first times I went to see a major oil company, California, and they were doing fracking of a well. Yep. And they, they were doing it with a downhole source so they could only see one side. And they had all of these microseismic events on one side of the well. I said, what happens on the other side of the well? Oh, well, fracks are bi-wing, bi symmetric, wing, symmetric penny shape. So all we do is we just draw a circle on this side, we Xerox it, and we yeah. take it over and yeah. paste it on the other side. And I said, how is that working for you? And they, well, we never get the production we think we're showing. Yeah, you get half so, the production here. So with microseismic and with geophysics in general, you actually see in yeah. the subsurface, and that allows you to make better decisions. That's, yeah, that's cool, I'm following. How did the whole Challenge Bowl come in? I mean, so we get oh, through your whole, bowl. your whole <laughs> career, you got SEGs running parallel with you this whole time, you're, you're active in the society since day one, like what's the network mean to you? What do these events mean to you? Oh, well, th these events are important to me. It's my community. And what I like to say is we're a community of geonerds. <laughs> we have similar, uh, similar likes and wishes. And, yeah. and so around here, you can talk to people and they speak the same language. They understand the same jokes. Yeah. You know, we're, we're a little strange. <laughs> But it's nice to be in a community that is strange like yeah, that's you. That's right. You're not weird, you're weird. So I, and I've always been sort of political in the sense of joining organizations and things. Okay. So I became an officer in the SEG back in, first time in 92, 93, was president of the SEG in 2003 and four. Wow. When you first started Microsize. In the same year. Jeez. And people are saying, crazy, what are you doing? Yeah, and, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I was on, I was as president-elect, you're on the executive committee, and I had left my previous job, and the people in the executive committee knew that I was unemployed. Yeah. And I came in after a couple of months, and I said, hey, guys, you know, I, I've got a, I'm doing something. I've got a job. And they said, oh, that's great. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm starting a company to do microseismic monitoring. And they went, oh, my God. <laughs> because at that time, it wasn't it wasn't what it is today. It uh -huh. wasn't well recognized right. as an opportunity. Right. One, one, of the, one of my contemporaries actually told my wife she was probably going to have to get a job. Wow. But it didn't work out that way. But I was president in <laughs> 2003. You asked about the Challenge Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And that was a phenomenal opportunity to travel around the world. I actually traveled as president around the world twice, giving lectures and representing the SEG and talking. And it gave me a bully pulpit to talk about microseismic right. and new sciences. But I also met people in my community around the world. And one of the neatest things I saw was in India, where they had this quiz contest for the 
students of yeah. geophysics in India. They had nine universities. Wow. They had nine teams. And they had a radio television personality run this contest at the convention in Hyderabad. And nobody was on the convention floor. The entire community was <laughs> gathered in this room to watch this contest. So I came back to the SEG and I said, we, we should be do doing this. this contest. The Indians actually gave me their software to put together the contest. Right on. And I went to the president of the SEG a couple of years later and I said, I'd like to start this program. And we did it the first year in 2006 in New Orleans. Whoa. The president said, you can do it. That's Leon Thompson. Started this contest. And it's grown like topsy since where we now have regional contests all oh, around man. the world. We just held our world finals yeah. on Tuesday. Yeah. And Who we won? had 17 teams wow. participate. Now, during COVID, we had to do it all virtual. Before that, it was all live. This is the first time we've done it uh, in a hybrid sense. Whoa. So I had eight teams physically here. here and nine teams virtual. in the web. Whoa. And the, and the ones that were in the web were in India and the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, and Indonesia. Jeez. And in Argentina. Jeez. And Canada. We had people from all over the world and people here. And we ran this two-hour contest in this virtual environment. It worked like crazy. And you know, the SEG is international and wants to be international and wants to represent that it can really be international. Here we had this truly for the first time, truly international event. Whoa. The winning team was from Nigeria. Whoa. And they were, they were virtual. The second place team was from Indonesia, the University of Indonesia. They were virtual. Third place team was from Argentina. One of the players was live in the room and one of the players was actually virtual at the same time. <laughs> Crazy. So what a wonderful yeah. accomplishment yeah. to take this global and we're going to be doing it that way from from now on. Right on. I got to compete in that. I was a student in 2016. I think it was 2016. It was in Dallas, and uh, and and Summit Verma, Dr. Verma from UTVB was like, you, I, we can we can create a team. And and me and Carlos Science were at the event, and we said, are we going to do this? And we're like, okay, let's let's go get our butts kicked. We made it to the finals, like the final eight or whatever it is. And, cool. And uh, and then we got our butts kicked by the the Canadians beat us that uh, that that, that year. That would be the University of Toronto probably that year. Yes, I I think it was. And they were they were sharp, man. It, it got it gets steep quickly. Uh, how you have that designed or whoever that board is that's putting no, all those me. questions. I do all the questions. Jeez. And, it, and you're right, it's in rounds, and each round gets a little harder to separate oh, yeah. the sheep oh, from yeah. the goats. Oh, yeah. Not that you're a goat. I don't want to imply that. <laughs> hey, I nailed, like, the sequence stratigraphy stuff, the structure. But, man, when it started getting into the weeds of geophysics, I'm going, holy smokes, man. Oh, we have a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I tell the kids when they're there, the students, shouldn't say kids, I tell the students when they're there, Number one, I want you to have fun. Number two, I want you to take one fact, one question away to remember for all time. Whoa. Yeah. Man, that's cool. So, so Microseismic Inc., your career, SEG, this, is, this really truly has been parallel with you. You've, you've helped develop the community. You understand the community. You help bring this community together. So. You know, you're an advocate for, for doing this and getting minds together and keep pressing the envelope on technology and how we apply it. How are we de-risking assets or how are we, 
using what we've learned in the past to immediately make new ventures successful. We're not making mistakes. It's another thing I'm learning from your team is you, you guys have been together for so long, you held through and there's a lot of history here. So when you quickly pivot and say, okay, we got a geothermal project, here's how we're gonna monitor it, here are the technologies we're gonna use, you know, there's so much value there because of the history, because of the, the real deep thought that goes into these projects. You have to keep innovating. I, when I did the, you referenced the oil company, and when I did the oil company, we actually found it with one of the founders of Landmark Graphics, one of the original 3D seismic, guys, se yeah. seismic interpretation stations. And that fellow who had a great influence on me, Gene Innes, he was one of the mentors for Doug, who you talked to yeah. earlier, and I. Yeah. He always would school us that you're never more than six months ahead of the competition. <laughs> oh, and don't man. think you are. And wow. so you always have to be innovating. You always have to be eating your children. You always have to be taking wow. that next step. So that's one of our core principles. You know, eat your children, wow. always innovate. And if you have an opportunity like geothermal or you have an opportunity like CCS, yeah. don't say, well, I'm just gonna do the same old thing. Say, okay, how can I take what I know, what I've learned, and do a little bit better and make Whoa. it relevant to this market? And listen to the market. If you go out there like I did and say, I'm going to do a company and not do frack monitoring, and the market comes back and says, no, you need to do <laughs> frack monitoring, then you listen to it and you do yeah. it. If the market says, you need to have digital fiber, optical fiber, yeah. you go get it, and you do it, and you learn how to apply it to what you're doing. So if you stop swimming, you're like a shark, you die. Man. So what do you think the, the, the true innovation of, of, of geophysics is in, in the future somewhere? Do you have a vision of something just radical, something that's just so far out, it seems like it's Star Wars or Star Trek or something of the future? Is it like a combination of sound and light? And I don't know, like what is the future of visualizing the, the planet? So, you know, my old boss, Rudy Prince, who founded Digicon Geophysical, always would come to me and say, Peter, what is that long-term 20-year vision? And I would say, Rudy, I don't know. That's not the way I'm built. The way I'm built is to come to a convention like this and see something that nobody's using but sounds really good and make it practical today. I'm oh, more man. of an engineer than a theoretician. Okay. So... When I see people doing optical fiber, yeah. I wait until I understand it, and then I say, now, I, now that I understand it, I'm gonna know how to put it yeah. into business. And I always wanna be a little bit in front, and it's not that I'm a, well, maybe fast follower, maybe that's right, but I'm more of an engineer. Yeah. So I don't know what it's gonna be in 20 years, but what I am doing is watching for the thing that's a year out, and I'm gonna make it happen today, Whoa. rather than wait that year. So AI, now look, Artificial yep. intelligence, yep. machine learning. Yep. Geophysicists have been doing inverse theory and statistics, which is what these <laughs> things are for years. Right, and, these are and buzzwords to geophysicists. Back in 2001, 2002, I helped some people who had been in on the Geonome project bring pattern recognition to doing seismic interpretation, automated seismic nice. interpretation. Yeah. Always thought that was a good idea and then got involved in this. Well, now we are bringing that machine learning to bear on the interpretation of our microseismic data. Mm -hmm. And I think the time has come from that, the, come for that. The machines, the computers are powerful enough. Yeah. The understanding of our problem, because we've been working with the data 
has grown to a point where we can use it. I think when I was talking to you earlier, I said about Confucius and when the student's ready, yeah. the teacher appears. Well, I think we're ready to use machine learning and I think that, that will have a huge effect on us in the next few years. Wow. So I've lived through 3D. I started, when I started in the business, yeah. 2D seismic was the, the way you did things. Yeah. And then 3D seismic came up and I was yep. part of that revolution. The guys who brought me down here were to, to take advantage of 3D seismic. And then I used that to found an oil company, and it was kind of leading edge, use 3D, do stuff that people aren't doing. Then I got into passive seismic. I, like I said, when I got into passive seismic, people weren't doing it. Yeah, shoot. Academics, academics have been doing it for 20 years. So it wasn't like I had a vision that was 20 years out. I had a vision that was 20 years old. Yeah, and I said, but look, nobody's using this the right yeah. way. Let's make yeah. it happen. And then engineering that to make happen, that's my strength, that's yeah. where my vision is. Where's the next one? Probably machine learning and bringing it to, to the front on data really fast. Another one that I think, and we're working on now, but it's a little further out, is to couple electromagnetics mm. with sound. I did my PhD in electromagnetics. Oh, and, really? And it is a, an opportunity to measure a different, a different physical parameter that responds to the Earth in a different way. And if we can couple that multi-physics kind of observation, we can probably get more powerful, more accurate images. Wow. But electromagnetics oh, has always been on the fringe of what we do because it doesn't have, or didn't have, quite the resolution of seismic, just because of a physical nature of sound waves versus electromagnetic waves. But I think we're getting to the point where with machine learning, we can couple those and make better use of them. Wow, let me ask you this. Does EM change um, in a material? So if you have a carbonate rock and it's, its resonant frequency is what it is, if you change its resonant frequency, does that change its EM? So, I really don't understand the question. <laughs> Sorry about that, Troy. So if I change its resonant frequency, yep. that sounds like seismic, that sounds like yeah. sound. Yeah. Whereas, then does it change its EM? Yeah. Well, it's electromagnetic. I think what you're saying, does it change its electrical impedance? Okay. And the answer is no. They wow. are two separate, one is mechanical, and one is electrical. One has to do with the mechanical properties of the rock, its elasticity, yeah. its response to yeah. stress, and the other has to do with its response to a voltage uh, and a oh, current okay. traveling okay. through it. Now, there is a thing called piezoelectric effect uh -huh. that when you put a voltage on something, it may respond mechanically and create a seismic wave. So there are people who talk about putting electric, uh, an electric impulse into the ground and it creates a seismic wave when it interacts with a rock, uh, and then you what? measure the seismic or you measure the electromagnetics when it comes back up into the surface. And so, in a very real and subtle sense, the question you asked has some truth to it, but it's, whoa, there have been people who've been trying to measure it, and they haven't been successful yet. <laughs> there are people who do seismoelectric effect exploration on very shallow rocks, but not at oil field depth. Okay. Yeah, wow. Sound is an amazing, amazing science, for sure. I feel like we are just starting to really break into that. I mean, there's even reports now where they're putting 
microphones on rocks in like the Utah, like the arches and stuff. And, and they're saying that these, these rocks are humming, you know, we don't hear it, but there is a, a sound and, a, and almost a music to the rocks. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they're, the, the acoustic properties of rocks are phenomenal. And the, the, the stretching the science to really understand all of the things that can go on is something we don't do every day because we don't need to. But for example, when we first started doing microseismic, we were listening for the, the little snap, crackle, pop that would happen, and this is before we were doing fracking, when the sun goes over or when the moon goes over. Because really? any one of those earth tide effects yeah. will cause the small fractures in the subsurface Whoa. to move. And if you can pick up those small events, you can start to map where the fractures are in the subsurface wow. and then maybe start to predict where fluids are flowing. All just from the sun and the moon going well, over. And, and from or a train passing by. You know, in, in uh, the Russians, the Russians actually noticed that when a train went by one of their oil fields, Come the on. production would go Come up. Come on. So they took trains and flattened the wheels and drove the trains around their field going thump to thump to thump to thump <laughs> and it increased production. And one of the very early, I mean, they, they actually were doing this. One of, the, one, of the, um, <laughs> one of the American labs, I don't know whether it was Lawrence Berkeley or whatever, they actually developed a tool that you could put down hole that would put out a vibration that would cause the fractures to vibrate and cause more oil to flow. Wow. Down in South America, Shell actually experimented in Colombia with that when there were natural earthquakes and those earthquake waves would go through their fields, they would experience a pulse of gas coming up their wells. Now, they're not going to cause earthquakes to improve their production, yeah. but they wanted to understand why what that was. What was going on, yeah. So that mechanical, those mechanical things that are going on the earth that are due to natural forces, that's what passive seismic is all about. And have we unlocked all the opportunities? No Absolutely way. not. Yeah. Because we get dragged into doing commercial <laughs> things, you know, so we can feed our family and pay the mortgage. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, kind if of you important. sit and start talking like this, you can get really excited right. about the neat things you can do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm certainly excited for you guys for the future. I'm keeping an eye on Microseismic Inc. No question about that. I'm reading the papers and, and listening for publications from Gary and, you know, this team that you have together that is such a unique group working on a very unique and, and applicable uh, science and technology. The last thing I want to do with you is, is a couple of these stay positive quotes and get some feedback from you. Oh, as, whoa, okay. Uh, as a positive energy guy. So encouraging quotes and messages that uh, fuel your life with positive energy. That's, uh, tell me when to stop. Now. Oh, Boom. Wow. What a game. <laughs> <laughs> Before you can achieve it, you must believe it. Before you can achieve it, you must believe it. Absolutely. I mean, Look, look what we've done. One of those core values, I said, someone else wrote up on the board was yeah. never give up. So you believe in what you're doing and you never give up until you achieve it. That's, that's been, I mean, that is a different statement of one of our core principles. Man, right on. Instead of focusing on the number of likes, let's invest more in letting people know they are loved. So... I think that, that that's definitely a true statement. And, and you know, I, I said earlier to you something about not worrying about people making mistakes. 
but hiding and, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in order to let them know they make, they can make a mistake with confidence, and that they can stick up their hand and ask for help, you have to really love them wow. and in a broad sense wow. you have yeah. to give them the confidence that you respect them and i'd call that love yeah absolutely and, and that's one of the things that's another of our core principles in the company is that we self-evaluate so every project we do people have to get up and present it and we have to teach them to not be afraid to say i think i got this wrong or what does it mean or help me to be able to ask for help because None of us, none of us, not me, not anybody yeah. else that you've met, yeah. knows everything. Yeah. And we all make mistakes. Yeah. And we have to let them know that that's fair. Man, fighting for their innocence. That's awesome. Okay, last one. Don't push someone to greatness. Love them to greatness. When you love them, they'll push themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Motivator. People's worst critics are themselves. Oh, yeah. And that's what keeps them up at night. It's not what you say, because if you say something, they'll just, oh, well, he's yeah. a son of a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? What does he know? And what you have to do is foster in them the need to achieve their own greatness and let, let them know what that greatness could be. People are their own motivators if you show them what they can do. And, and that, that has to be, that has to be the way that you run a company. I said everybody's a stockholder. Yeah. Why? Because I want them to know they can get rewarded just as much as me or anybody yeah. else. When we did the private equity deal, mm -hmm. everybody had stock options. Everybody who had stock options that were vested got to sell a portion of those stock options into the deal. My secretary of, at that time, seven years? Yeah bought a house for cash and she was a lady I don't want to give away anything but she was a lady who grew up in an orphanage Whoa. never and she went and bought a house God. for cash can you believe and that what putting that goal out to people and saying you too can do that wow you can rise to that greatness and I don't care whether you're the secretary in the company or the accountant or the geophysicist or the guy in the field every one of you makes a contribution and that contribution makes us great together. Mm. And you have to keep singing that song because they don't believe it. They'll forget it in six months. Yeah. yeah. They'll forget yeah. it. They, things, you know, it's like rust on a pipe. That rust comes in its scales and you have to brush it off. You have to keep giving them that confidence. But if you do, man, do they produce. Right. And they produce uh -huh. for you and for the company. Uh, what's uh, what, a, what a great company! What a great show! Are you guys hiring for Absolutely. geologists? Always, and geo is always, that right? always. Great. We're selective. Good. We're selective. Yes. We hire. We hire, but we're selective. But we're growing. We went through, as I said, a hard time, and we shrunk. But now we're growing again. And yes, we're hiring. Great. I'm going to pass that along. Hopefully, your phones are blowing up with bright minds that want to be involved in a company like this. I believe in that. Uh, and I believe in you, Dr. Peter Duncan. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Troy. I appreciate it. Likewise.